This is our kickoff Sunday for our new ministry year. We do this every fall as we kind of launch into the fall season here. Um, And we do that with a new theme for the year. Uh, A theme that I believe God's going to speak to us through throughout the year, through various texts and through various sermons. Um, I think he's going to continue to come back to this theme that you see on the banners and on the screen, to seek him first. And so today we're going to start with a message on that theme from Matthew chapter 6. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and flip those open. Matthew chapter 6, if you need a Bible, there should be some hardback black ones there in the chairs around you. Feel free to grab one of those and follow along with us. We'd love for you to do that. And uh, we're going to be in verses 25 through 33. 25 to 33 is our text for this morning um, as we look at this new theme of seeking him first. So to get started, I want to do a little pop quiz this morning. I'm going to test your, um, your pop culture vocab this morning, okay? See if y'all are up on the kids' lingo these days. Um, how many of y'all know, how many of you have ever heard, show of hands, how many of you have heard of FOMO before? Anybody on that? Okay, yeah, okay, that's pretty mainstream now. Okay, that's good. Uh, what does that, somebody tell me, what does that mean? Okay, everybody tell me. That's great too. Okay, so y'all got it, right? So fear of missing out. And so I was thinking through this idea that's kind of taken, you know, a part of our culture now. It's like when you are on social media and you see your friends out Friday night eating sushi and like you don't even like sushi, but, but you're mad that you're not there, right? You're like you're missing out on the relationships, on the time, even though you wouldn't even want to eat that stuff. That's gross, right? Anybody with me on that, right? Or like, you know, you've got to buy the new water container, whatever it is, even though you already have 20 at your house, in the cabinet, not in use. But it's the new trend, and so we got to have it, and we buy that because we don't want to miss out on the thing, right? Or you're at work, and you've got to take that promotion, or you've got to take the overtime, or you've got to get the sale because you don't know when the next one's going to come, and you're afraid you're going to miss out. And we could go with a thousand different situations on that. That we're afraid that if we don't have something or get something, or if we don't do this or don't do that, that somehow we're going to miss out on what life might have for us. And oftentimes that feeling of FOMO is driven by anxiety. When we really boil it down, right? And our culture defines anxiety like this. Anxiety is defined as an intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. Think about that. A tense, excessive, persistent worry or fear about everyday situations. Like, not just the big things. Like, we have anxiety about all kinds of things, don't we? And anxiety oftentimes drives us in various ways. It drives our thoughts, it drives our decisions, it drives our responses, our priorities, because we're always afraid of what might or might not happen in this or that situation. What will happen to my life if I don't blank? Will I miss out? Will my life be lacking in some way? And so we run and run and run, anxiously seeking after all the things of this world because we're afraid if we don't run and pursue them that we're going to miss out. And Like most days, when we read God's word, Jesus is going to take that thinking and he's going to flip it upside down in Matthew chapter 6. And this is what he's speaking to us this morning, okay? 
if I seek God first, He will fill my life. If I seek God first, if I seek Him first, He will fill my life with all that I need and more. And so let's look at the text together this morning, starting in verse 25. It says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Let's stop there. Point number one, if I seek God first, he will fill my life with purpose. If I seek God first, he will fill my life with purpose. So he starts right at the very top with the main idea, the main theme for the whole passage. He says, do not be anxious about your life. Right? That's going to be his main thrust in this whole section. And just as we said earlier, our culture thinks that anxiety is rooted in fear. Right? And fear and anxiety are connected for sure. But when we look at the Bible, the Bible tells us that the true root of anxiety is unbelief. Especially for us as Christians. The true root of anxiety is that I don't believe that God really is good. And that he really is gracious. And that he really is in control of all things. And that he really is faithful. I don't believe that God is who he says he is. And so I think that I've got to do all the things to make sure my life goes right. And when we look at it, if, I did some research this week. Like Studies have shown we're all anxious about the same things all the time. Right? We're all anxious about marriage and money and work and family and our health and our safety and our relationships. and It's all the same things. And we're all feeling it together and we're constantly worried about these things and how our lives are going to go and are, is it going to go the way that we want. And Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. But he gets more specific. Look what he says. He says, what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will put on. In other words, I don't want you to even worry about your most basic survival needs. Like, you're worried about the big stuff over here. I'm telling you, not only do you not need to worry about that, you don't even need to worry about the basics. The things that you have, the things that you literally have to have to live, don't even worry about that. He says, because here's why. Is not life more than all those things? In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, I didn't just put you here. I didn't just create you and put you on the earth to survive. That's not the purpose of your life, right? It's not just to be born, eat, drink, sleep, have some fun, die. That, that's not the purpose of our lives, that's the way that, that an atheist thinks about life, right? The one who says that there is no God, that there is no life beyond this world, this is all we get. So make the most of your time now, get everything that you can right now because this is it. Is that the purpose of our lives? 
Jesus says, no, absolutely not. As believers, we have a greater purpose than just surviving and getting the most that we can out of this life. It's not about how many hours you have. It's about how you use them. Jesus gives us an example here. He says, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather, and yet the Father feeds them. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that birds don't work for their food. If you've ever seen a bird, they they most certainly do. They have to get up and go and find the worm and do the thing, and they have to work for it. What he's saying is they don't worry about how they work. They don't worry about how they're going to get their food or when they're going to get their food or how much they're going to get or how long it's going to last them. They don't worry about it. They trust the Lord will provide for them each day and so they just go about their part that God has given them to play trusting that the Lord will take care of the rest. And so Jesus here, he's not telling us not to work. Okay, please hear that this morning. We don't don't need any more of that language in our culture today. That's not what God is saying, all right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 very clearly says, if you don't work, you don't eat, okay? God's not saying don't work. He's saying don't worry about your work, right? Don't worry while you work. Just trust me and do what I've given you to do. I want you to think about that for a second. I want, I want you to think about how do you work? We all have different jobs, different roles. Some are in the workplace, some are in, the market, you know, in schools or in, or in nonprofits or in homes. We all have different areas that we work. But how do you work? Does your work consume you because you're always worried about it? Right? Will I have enough work, enough hours to pay the bills? What will happen if I can't keep my family's schedule on the rails and it all just falls apart? I have to constantly overstudy because I'm afraid that if I don't, I won't get the grade that I need. What if I set some boundaries at my job and I don't bow to their every whim and demand? Will I still have a job? We worry about all these things. And when we start to worry about our work, work then takes top priority over everything else in our life and it becomes an act of worship. And we end up worshiping it because we think that work is going to be the thing that finally gives us security. That finally gets us what we want. That it's going to give us a purpose. That, it's going to, that we're going to find some new satisfaction in what we can get out of our work. Do you worry about your work or do you work with faith? That might be a new phrase for some of you. Do you work with faith? That if you honor the Lord and you do your part, that God will always provide and that you will be satisfied. What is the purpose of your work? What is the purpose of your life? 
It's not just to get more. Look at what he says next. He says, are you, talking about the birds, are you not of more value than they? Which, by the way, is a rhetorical question because the answer is obvious, yes. Yes, you are much more valuable than the birds. All right? You are the only one in all of creation, you being humans, that are made in God's image. That he made you most like him. He made you to be his family. He made you to have an eternal purpose. An eternal life with him. Birds don't get any of that. They're here for a minute, and then they're gone, and that's fine, and they're done. They've served their purpose. But not us. We have a greater eternal purpose. And so because of that, God will not leave us out. He will not leave us without what we need. And then he says this, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Again, answer is obvious. No one. In fact, doctors will tell you that anxiety actually probably shortens your life or at least severely strains it. It doesn't help us. We don't win anything by it. So often we're so worried about getting the most out of this life that we miss the greater purpose of this life. God didn't create us to see how much we could get from this world. He made us rather to see how much we can give to him with our life. Because our purpose is not found in this world. It is found in God. In seeking Him first. When I was thinking about work this week, one of the things that was instilled in me from my childhood was always to work hard. Both my parents worked hard at everything that they did, and I was blessed by their example to work hard for my family and work hard for the Lord and to, and to do whatever I can. But I have to admit that there are times where that can get out of balance. Even in my own life, that's happened. And as a parent, I've always wanted to, to teach our girls the same thing. Right? To model and to value hard work. Like This is what God has called us to. But this, this summer, we were on vacation, and Courtney and I were taking a walk, and we were talking about our, our family and our girls, and just kind of our, our, their future and our aspirations for them, and you know, all the things that you think about for your children, and I said, I, I want them to have every opportunity to work hard and to, to succeed and achieve, whether that be in sports, whether that be in arts, whether that be in education, whether that be in relationships, like, I just want them to have every opportunity, more opportunities than I had. To work hard and have a good life. And she kind of turned to me and she said, well, why? Why is that so important? I think that's a common sentiment for parents. Right? Like, I want good things for my kids. I want opportunities for them. She's like, she's like, why is that important? I said, well, because then they can get a good scholarship. They get good grades. They get a good scholarship. They can get into a good school, find a successful job, get a good spouse. Like, they can get all the things, Right? And even as I was saying all that to her, out loud, finally, you know, sometimes you say it to yourself, and then, like, it comes out, and you hear it different. As I'm saying all these things, the Holy Spirit, like, says, just inside of me, the Holy Spirit says, hey, is, is that the most important? Is that really the top priority? Is that the thing that we're chasing? And then she 
pretty much said the same thing, and I'm like, man, I hate it when they gang up on me like that. It's just not fair. But God was, was correcting me. He was showing me that, hey, there's some things out of balance here that you need to correct some thinking. You, my desires, my priorities for my children were not aligned correctly with the Lord. And the truth is this, if they never have any of that, but they love Jesus, that's enough. That's enough. What I really want to model and point them to is a heart that worships God first, no matter what else. Then and only then will their life truly be full. And here's the thing, adults. It doesn't just go for our kids. It goes for all of us as well. And somewhere along the train of life, I think we can forget that and start to slip into the race of all the stuff. But Jesus is reminding us here, seek God first to find your purpose. You're not going to find it in this world. You're not going to find it in all the things. You're not going to find it in your work. You're not going to find it in your family. Seek God first to find your purpose. He goes on. Look at verse 28. He says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Point number two, if I seek God first, he will fill my life with provision. If I seek God first, he will fill my life with provision. So now he, he, he kind of changes tracks here. He says, why are you anxious about your clothing? Right? Still the anxiety thing, but he's moving from food to clothes now. And he's saying, hey, again, he's not saying don't wear clothes. Okay, can we just be clear on that today? Like he's not saying don't dress yourself. Please do that before you leave the house. But he's saying, hey, you don't need to worry about your clothes. You don't need to worry about the style and the name and the, what the look. Like, you don't need to worry about all of that. He's like, I've got you, right? He's like, let me give you another picture. He's like, look at the flowers, right? Consider the lilies of the field, like the wildflowers that would be out in the, in the field with the grass and stuff. He's like, look at them. They, they don't toil. They, they, don't, they don't work to look this good, right? I clothe them. I clothe them, and they're beautiful more than anything else. They don't worry about their appearance. He says, and they're so beautiful, even Solomon never looked as good as they did. Now for us, we're like, I don't, okay, I've never seen a picture of Solomon, I don't know what that, but like if you're, if you're an Israelite, you know Solomon was the richest king that Israel ever had, right? Which means he had the very best threads. Nobody had drip like Solomon did, right? Like he was in it. And he's saying like, look, the flowers, they don't even compare. He's like, I clothe them. He doesn't even come close to the beauty of my creation. But notice this, he says, but God clothes the grass of the field just for a day 
only for it to turn around and be burned up. Again, this is a cultural reference here. They would take the grass and the flowers and they would like, cut it and they would bring it inside and they would let it dry and then they would use it for fuel to, for their ovens to bake things and cook things. And He's like, the whole purpose of the grass and the flowers is just to be cut and then burned up. And I still clothe it with utter beauty. He says, will He not much more clothe you? We already established you're much more valuable than the grass. You have an eternal purpose, which is to worship and to glorify God. He has much greater plans for you, and He's never going to neglect you. He'll provide all that you need and more. So don't be anxious. Do not be anxious, Jesus says. And then he tags it with this, O you of little faith. Which kind of feels like a dagger, right? But think about it for a second when he's saying faith here. Faith doesn't just mean an intellectual agreement. Like sometimes in our culture, faith gets used in that context. Like, I believe that there is a God. I believe that Jesus was a man, that he did some things, that he, maybe even he died and rose again. Like, I believe the facts about it. And some people call that faith. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Faith is not just an intellectual agreement. Faith is agree- believing and trusting God with your whole life. It's saying that I believe that I am a sinner, that I have rebelled against God, and I deserve His wrath in hell. But I also believe that Jesus Christ came, was born as a man, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then went to the cross to die for that same sin. To take my sin and put it on Himself, and to take the wrath and the punishment and the death that I deserved. And he died in my place, and he went into the grave, and he rose back to life, proving that he was God. And saying, if you'll believe in me, trust in me, I will save you from all of it. And I'll give you an eternity with the Lord. It's believing and trusting. Faith is surrendering your whole life to the power and the will of Jesus Christ to save you and to lead you in every aspect of your life. Nothing is off limits. He gets all of it. Because He is worthy. That's the faith that Jesus is talking about here. But notice what He says. He doesn't say that they have no faith. Right? He says, you of little faith. And that's the trap that many Christians fall into. It's not that they have no faith. They do believe in God. They do believe that he is able to provide for them. We do believe oftentimes that he's able. We believe that maybe even that he will provide. Maybe we have to do our part and, you know, kind of put some chips in the game, but eventually he'll do his thing. Like, we believe it, but here's where we get stuck. We oftentimes fall short of believing that he will provide what is best. That he will provide what is best for our lives. Because what if he doesn't do it the way I want it done? What if he doesn't give me what I want or the way I think it should go? Or what if it's not 
What if it's not the best that I could have? We have little faith. We think that somehow that God is holding out on us in some way. That yeah, he'll provide, he'll give us this, but he won't give us the best, and so I have to go get that for myself. I have to do this other thing alongside of God to get what's really best for my life. Because I don't trust him, I don't have enough faith to believe that a good and gracious God will give me what is best. And so we spend our lives seeking after it. Whatever it is for you, we, we seek after it, and we make it first priority instead of seeking him first. There's a, there's a family in our church that when I remember when they first came to Harvest, they were struggling a little bit um, under some financial weight and strain of past things and just the worries of this world and One spouse was working multiple jobs and trying to kind of make ends meet and do the thing. The other one was working a job that just had horrible hours and just was bad for their family, didn't have family time together. They they rarely saw each other. They didn't have time to invest in their kids. They they were struggling to even find time to worship and to serve the Lord. However, God started to speak to them over time, and they knew that some changes had to be made and some priorities had to shift. And so over time, both spouses end up changing jobs. One took a, maybe a riskier position, but one that would bring possibly more income to be able to stop the other jobs. The other one changed to a different position that had better hours, could be at home with the family at night and, and have time together. Took a pay cut to do it. But now, by seeking Him first, now they're worshiping the Lord every week. They're serving God together. They're in a small group. Kids are growing in kids' ministry and students, and and things are happening, and God is blessing and growing their family spiritually and financially. Doesn't mean bad things aren't still happening. Please understand, like, just because you seek God first doesn't mean that all the bad things go away. But it does mean that when you're walking through them, you now have him with you and walking for you and working for you in all of the stuff. But you've got to seek him first. No longer are they just living to survive. They're living for the Lord and they're trusting him for the rest. Seek God first to receive his provision. Seek God first to receive His provision. And just let me tell you, His provision, always way better than your provision. Whatever you think you can get, whatever you think you're running after, whatever He's got, it's better. I promise you it's better. Last couple verses, look at verse 31. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Last point, if I seek God first, 
He will fill my life with peace. If I seek God first, He will fill my life with peace. Again, He says the same phrase, again, you see it all through this passage, right? He says, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or drink or wear? Again, the basic survival things, like don't even worry about it. But then he says this, he says, the Gentiles seek after all those things. Now, if you don't know how to decode, you know, Matthew's gospel here, Gentiles means lost people, people who don't follow Jesus, right, who don't follow the Lord, who don't love the Lord. He says, that's what they seek. And the word seek there means, in the Greek, it means a continuous pursuit, like a, a, an all-consuming desire. That, that those who are lost, who aren't following Jesus, that's their whole purpose in this life, is to continually run after all the things of this world. That's what they're seeking, nonstop, all the time. They seek the things of this world first. That is their top priority, and everything else bows to that pursuit. So Jesus' point is, hey, that's not you. Right? That's the way they live. That's not how you live. That's not how we do it. And here's the crazy thing. I mean, some of you have experienced this at various points in your life. You've seen others walk through this. Here's the crazy part. Many of them are actually successful at getting all those things of the world. And they get all those things to find out they're never enough. You finally get all the stuff and you figure out, oh, this actually isn't what I thought it was. Because now I have the stuff and now I have to, to keep the stuff and I have to maintain the stuff and I have to pay for the stuff and insure the stuff and protect the stuff and store the stuff and all the things, right? And no matter how much we get, it's never enough. It's never enough because it never truly brings the peace that we're looking for. He says the Gentiles seek after all these things pointlessly. And then I love this next statement. He says, Your father knows that you need them. Listen, Jesus isn't saying that you don't need those things, right? You do. You need food, you need water, you need to cover your body in something to protect yourself. Like, otherwise, you're not going to live very long. He's not saying you don't need those things. He's saying, but your father knows. Your father knows. He knows you. He knows that you need these things. The, the one who created all things, who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, who controls all of eternity, he knows you and he's got you. Jesus is telling us that we can rest in the assurance that your father knows. And that he is able to fill my life with all that I need. But in case you're doubting that today, in case you're struggling to really believe that, let me give you five reasons why God is able to fill your life with all that you need. Number one, because He is sovereign. 
First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. There's a lot of alls in that verse. And that describes our God, that He is sovereign over all. He holds all things in His hands, and so He can fill our lives with everything that we need. He's also able to fill my life, number two, because He is good. I love this verse. Psalm 84.11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing. Say, no good thing. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. He is good. And He does good. And He will fill our lives with good things. Also, He's able to fill my life, number three, because He is faithful. We sang about this earlier, right? Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. In other words, He has always been faithful to His people, and He always will be faithful to His people for thousands and thousands of generations. He'll never stop, because He is faithful. And, number four, because He is eternal. 1 Timothy 1.7, to the king of ages, of the ages immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our God is before all things, and he will be after all things. And so therefore, he actually is the only one who can guarantee that he can fill our lives with everything that we need from beginning to end. Because he is eternal. And lastly, most importantly, he is loving. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Our God is a loving Father. And he knows. He knows you. And he loves you. And we can trust him to lovingly fill our lives with all that we need. And so because of that reality, because your Father knows, Jesus gives this final command. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now that word seek there, again, is the same seek from earlier. Continuous pursuit. Consuming desire. Right? Seek first, so before everything else, above all of it, seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I see three pieces to that there. First of all, most of the time in Matthew's gospel, he doesn't say kingdom of God. Most of the time, Matthew says kingdom of heaven. But right here, he switches it to God to make it personal. Because the first thing we have to seek is not anything from God, but it's to seek God. Seek him. Seek his face. Seek his presence it's about a relationship with him 
So seek His presence first. Then also, the kingdom of God points to the purposes of God. Right? The kingdom of God is all that He is doing in the world and in eternity. It's seeking to glorify Him with your entire life. It's seeking to fulfill His mission, to spread the gospel and make disciples, to grow His kingdom and not ours. So we seek His presence, we seek His purposes, and then lastly it says, and His righteousness. Which righteousness, sometimes in the Bible that means like perfection or holiness. That's not really what it means here. He's more talking about like the righteous ways of God. Seek His righteousness, His his practices. Seek to, to follow His ways, to follow His word, to follow His perfect design for our lives. Because that's when we're going to experience His best for us. Seek His presence, seek His purposes, seek His practices. Seek Him first in everything, over all of it, Jesus says. And all these things will be added to you. All the things that you need in the world. The food, the clothing, the water, all the things. God promises to provide all of it if we will just seek Him first instead of the things first. Knowing that we can truly rest in His promise because He is the promise keeper. We can know peace in this world. I think many people doubt that these days. That on this, in this life, I'm never going to... No, you can. You can know the peace of God in this world. Right now, in this life. If He is first. And then He'll take care of everything else. You know, early on in ministry... I've been doing this for a little bit now. And early on in ministry... I was under this false delusion that people's priorities were based on whatever they committed to first, right? And so if we could just get like the church calendar out there, if we could just get all the stuff on their calendar first and get them committed, then they would be there, they would say no to other things, and then they would like get into a habit of, of walking with the Lord and, and, good, and they would see the value of it and then they would want that. And... But I've long ago given up on that way of thinking, <laughs> that's just not the human heart, is it? It's not how it works. In reality, our priorities are set by what our heart seeks most. What we desire most. And so when we desire the things of this world most, that is what we will seek. That's what will take top priority in our lives, in our schedule, in our finances, in our relationships. But if we desire God most, we will seek Him first. And He will take top priority in every way. That's what Christ is talking about here. We oftentimes think that the way to peace, the way to contentment, the way to satisfaction is through finally getting all the pleasures and the comforts of this world. And so we chase them. And we chase them first. And friends, I can't say it any more plainly than this. It's a lie. It's just a lie. 
and it's never going to get you where you want to go. Only God can give us true, lasting peace. Seek God first and rest in His peace. And so when we put all that together, we come back that if I seek God first, He will fill my life. How much time and energy do we spend chasing the things of this world? Trying to fill our lives up with all the things, only to find out that we're actually emptier because of that pursuit. And the Lord's saying to you this morning, hey, I've got you. I've got you. Stop chasing the world and follow me, and I will fill your life with all that you need, purpose and provision and peace. You will have all of it if you seek me first. This year, that's our goal, church. This is what we're going to be going after, is to exchange the things of this world for more of Jesus. That's what we need. Every day, rearrange our priorities where he is number one and we trust him for everything else. Do not be anxious. Seek him first. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God so much for this time together this morning Lord thank you for thank you Lord for the work that you've been doing in my heart on this issue thank you Lord that none of us are above your correction and your instruction and Heavenly Father we just want to confess this morning again that you are sovereign that you are good that you are faithful that you are eternal that you are loving that you are all these things and so we know who you are and we know that it is true. And so we're asking you, Lord, grow our faith. We have little faith, Lord. Grow our faith in you. Grow our desire for you to seek you first above everything else. Help us to trust. Help us to trust in you, God. And to seek you all this in Christ's name.